Hey, welcome to the 81st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today I wanted to talk about commercials, how they work, the misconceptions. I actually made this whole long list of things I wanted to talk about commercials, and my ultimate dream is that this episode will serve as like a intro to the commercial world. I mean, from our Point of view obviously there's there are a lot of rules that are broken all the time and there's a lot of people that know way more about it than we do but i think we're at a unique place where we are directing commercials we've, we're writing treatments we've been doing it not for 20 years but for like two years pretty consistently a little longer than two years well we've been doing like branded content for a long time and that's part of the thing i wanted to talk about which is like branded content versus commercials versus traditional commercials and how they work in the way it's changing the industry right yeah i would even take one step back and say like by the way this is like from how I understand the commercial world, this is how commercials work, and this is how directors get commercial work. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about like how that's transforming and how we, we've been getting our work, which is not exactly the traditional way, but I, I just... I just think it would be fun to do like a primer on commercials. Well, I, I think it's perfectly time because I feel like your commercial career is exploding. So well, Yeah, it's funny. Exploding, I my... maybe. So you're doing great. I had my high school reunion last night, my 20-year high school reunion. Yeah. Yikes. Um, I did graduate when I was 11 years old, though. Just kidding. I did not. But uh, I talked to this guy who's like a set medic, and he has been, you know, been a set medic for a long time, and he does like big Hollywood things, and he does big commercials, and I told him like the production companies I work with, and he's like, okay, yeah, haven't heard of that one, haven't heard of that one, (laughs) haven't heard of that one. And then he's like, well, who, like, who do you guys use for your set medic? And I was like, well, you know, we don't always have a set medic. He's like, oh, yeah, you're like, you know, in the big, in the big productions, they always have a set medic. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've had a set medic. I just sure. don't have a set medic every single time. Right. His point was like, it's like an insurance policy. Like someone sure. has heat stroke, someone has hiccups, someone gets sick, someone sprains an ankle. Well, I can't wait to meet a medic who has a cure for hiccups. <laughs> Dude, you just have to jump out from behind a corner and scare the shit out he's of someone. Like, he's like, I got a scare guy. The set medic knows how to scare the bejesus out of anybody. The hiccups will be fine. Yes. Um, so this is going to be the commercials episode. But before we get to that, we're going to catch up a little bit. So Matt, what have you been up to lately? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm working with a new company, which you know we do relatively often, but I think in the last year or two, we've both kind of fallen into a little bit of a groove where, you know, you kind of have your regular companies and regular collaborators that you end up working with over and over again. And so um, it was it's kind of a new thing to be working with a new company. And also uh, they do things uh, more differently than I have experienced recently. You right. Know? And how did they find you? Um, or how did you find them? A referral, basically. Yeah, like they were looking for somebody who had experience with a specific format of, of the style of shooting, basically, that I've done before. So, like, you know, social media is exploding. I don't know if you've heard. Um, but so that means, like, formats like one by one for Facebook and Instagram or vertical for Snapchat. And, um, you know, uh, those things are all kind of evolving. And so it's actually, this is good for listeners, it's a good way to kind of stand out if you if you know how to shoot for those formats it sounds like a silly thing because it feels like everybody knows how to do it but specifically with vertical compositionally it is weird it's like a totally different it's like so you kind of really have to recalibrate the way that you compose and therefore shot list specifically like a two shot or a three shot like a wide is 
so weird and so hard. And a lot of times you have to shoot like 16 by 9, like widescreen, right. but it has to be one by one safe. And it's not even like a pan and scan one by right. one. It's like the middle square of your frame needs to look good. Yeah. So, so like you need super wide two shots and you can't have people really anything close to the edge of your screen that's important. Right, right. So so for having when you have that sort of specialty, it helps you stand out a little bit. And so that's kind of how I got this gig. Um, but, you know, they do things differently um, in a lot of different ways. And it made me think about, uh, you know, w- wonder like, oh, what do you it's been a while since I kind of had to like learn the ropes with people. You know, um, terminology can be different. Workflow can be different. Like at big corporations, it tends to be like really buttoned up and you have to like, it takes you forever to get paid because they're all net 60 and then you have to have a certain type of paper, you know. Right. For those that don't know, net 60 means when you send them an invoice, they have 60 days to pay you. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, And there's way worse than that too. There's net 90 and there's like net 120. Yeah, when I was at Viacom, it was net 90 and, you know, when you're paying like day players to you know a couple hundred bucks and they need that money for rent or something to be like no 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 you'll get it in three months is insane Um, but yeah so uh oren what do you do when you first work with a new company well it's weird because you know we've been doing this for a little while so we feel to some degree like we know what we're doing and a lot of times you'll work with a new company and they're like well this is how you make shot lists or this is how you scout locations or this is how you cast actors and in your mind you're like uh, well, that's not how we did it at the last 10 companies. But I can't stop getting that thing that Jordan Morris said on our podcast out of my head, which is you've got to dance with the girl that brought you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, on one hand, you want to be like, no, this is not how you do it. But on the other hand, you know, you want to say like, oh, cool. I've done it this way before, but this I, I haven't done. I, I, I try to be open and honest mm-hmm. about how the way they're doing it is different than what I'm doing. And why it seems potentially less advantageous but i'm open to the idea of why they think it's better right you know like if a company says uh you know we don't we don't need a gap or we're gonna have two like sometimes i'll be on a job and they're like yeah we have two or three dps and you're like um what does that mean exactly because there's only supposed to be one dp but yeah yeah. what they mean is like we're gonna get three camera people and they're gonna shoot because we're gonna have they're all gonna light together and then they're gonna shoot three right, cameras right and it's like more of like a eng style news reality show type type style i worked at this production company for a while and i remember we were doing like a lot of branded content and kind of short form stuff and then we were getting more into traditional commercials and we would get like i remember our producer got a script and it was in a word document actually this was on my list to talk about in the commercial segment and she said, she's like, look at these amateurs. They don't even know how to write a script. They're sending it to us in a Word document. And then this other script from this other copywriter is like in an Excel, like not in Excel, but in columns. Right. And they're like, maybe even literally actually in in Excel. Yeah. yeah. Like two columns. Yeah. One says audio and one says video. And they're like, what is this? These people aren't real writers. And it was like, it's funny because I may might have had that impression also at first, but very quickly learned that like no, that's in the commercial world. That is that, how they write scripts. Do it. Yeah. They don't use Final Draft in the commercial world. And guess what? When I get a commercial script that's written in Final Draft, I know we talked about this. You said you like it, but I'm like, I know that the person that wrote this is not a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are a writer that writes TV or sketch or whatever screenplays, and they're writing a commercial. 
but I prefer the Word document because that's where it's like five sentences. They've timed it out. This is right. going to fit in 30 seconds, and they understand advertising as opposed to sketch narrative yeah. storytelling, narrative. which obviously are related to each other. But anyway, so I, the, the only reason to tell that story is I think so often we get so ingrained in the right way to do things that we are actually wrong when when we yeah. tell people that they're doing things the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because I think we both came up, um, and I think that this generation probably everyone can relate, you get ahead by being scrappy and resourceful and just shooting it, right? So, you know, it used to be that you had to have film and all of this stuff, and now, like, you can shoot something on an iPhone and make it really special and stand out. So that mentality permeates everything that we do, and you have no matter how successful you get, you still have to keep your teeth sharp. You still have to know how to do that stuff and to get her done if you need to, right? Mm-hmm. And if that means pulling out your phone to steal a little extra piece of footage while no one's looking that you know will work in the edit later, do it, right? But then also, as a director, a big part of your job is like quality control. And so a lot of that, no, this is how we do it sort of mentality boils down to understanding how to maintain a quality of image and a workflow and uh, standards, basically. And so it's this strange push and pull between that can-do attitude and then an adherence to quality that, you know, you just always have to kind of check yourself with whenever you're working with someone new because their standards are going to be different and they may not be the same as your standards. Um, And maybe they're right and maybe you're wrong. Who knows? And on top of that, like kind of the main topic that you brought up, the new company thing is like, when you're the new person, it's uncomfortable saying like, hey, you're wrong and I'm right. And so you compromise way more right. than you would with like right. producers you've worked with before. Also, um, sometimes you don't know who the boss is. <laughs> okay. You know, like everyone Oftentimes. else has been working together for, you know, uh, a few weeks, at the very least, probably years. And they just are like, hey, this is, you know, Janice and Tom and uh, Larry and... Um, yeah, and we're all we're all doing it. Yeah, yeah. And you'll get emails from everybody. You don't know like who's who or what's what. Sometimes, boy, even on conference calls, you could be like one of sixteen people, and you're just like, I don't even know what's going on. So, um, what do you do when you're trying to figure out like who's who in a company? Sorry, I'm typing. It just reminded me of something else I wanted to talk about in commercials, which is the positions of each of, of people. Sure, sure. Because commercials, I think, are, are a little more standardized in terms of the roles you know or rather the titles for those roles but like from company to company like a line producer versus a coordinator versus an ep those all can kind of mean different things oh totally yeah i'm like i mean i'm a pretty nosy person in general but i've gotten i think really good at just saying like okay so who are you and what's your job and how do you work with this person and and i will ask people what the structure of the hierarchy is like on day yeah. one if if i think it's important for me to know it yeah and it always is yeah. it always is and it's just like who who do you take what to you know like right because oh, there's I've got a time card i need filled out or i need parking validation <laughs> right or i think we need to change the script right you know? because there is a weird thing in like corporate america they're averse to talking about who's who's boss as if mm-hmm. it's like uncomfortable or inappropriate but it's like very important to know. Yeah. Especially because when it comes down to creative decision-making, if it's client-based or commercial-based at all, sometimes the director is not the final say. Oftentimes they're not. Oh, yeah, never. And so you kind of have to know who to listen to and who to convince and 
also who to just kind of, you know, kowtow to, basically. And so that's always going to be tricky. Well, yeah. New companies, man. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I think you're right. Just asking straight up early on is the best way to go. I'll often try and find... Like a confidant? A confidant, yeah. Typically, like, somebody younger who I get along with personally, and you can kind of suss that out pretty quickly. You know, someone who, like, newer to the company, maybe, or who's funny or sarcastic, uh, and kind of I can get the skinny from them of, like, who is this person again? And you're not worried about looking stupid in front of that person. It's like in Mad Men, the pilot, you know, Peggy comes in, and um, what's her name? Christina Hendricks. She like walks her around and like teaches her the ropes of like right, the office. And, right. Like you need that whenever you're in a new company. Yeah. And it's rare for someone to just take you on that tour real quick because there's no audience watching, you know? Right. Cool. Uh, well, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Quite a few things, but I was going to mention that I just saw the new Blade Runner movie, Blade Runner 2049, and I accidentally watched it in 3D, which it turned out was fine. It was like very kind of subtle 3D. I almost never go for 3D movies because Kara, my wife, doesn't enjoy it. And I don't, like I find myself spending too much time thinking about the 3D, you know? Or even just noticing the edges, you know? Yeah. Um, But I didn't mind. It was like really subtle. I suspect they did it all in post. Um, Sure. But yeah, man, it's great. The performances are good. It's really long. It's like almost three hours. The visuals are incredible, of course. And like to me, what I didn't like about like The Force Awakens Star Wars is that it was like exactly the same as sure. the yeah. original Star Wars. And what I loved about Blade Runner is that it acknowledged everything in the original Blade Runner. It added onto it. It retaught you the rules of the world, mm-hmm. but it felt like it's totally its own story that had yeah. a whole new mystery. It, it's like half reboot and half sequel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, hey, get excited about these movies again. We'll keep making them if we can. Right, and Harrison Ford is the same person sure. that he yeah, was yeah. in the original, so it's cool. I you should check it out. Uh, I plan on it. I, I'm ashamed I haven't seen it yet. Well, let's get into it. Before we hop into our conversation about commercials, Oren, we've got more iTunes reviews. You guys are killing it lately. Yeah, keep leaving these reviews. They really kind of help fuel us personally to keep making the podcast and to be excited about it and it i think on an algorithmic level it helps other people find the show oh yeah for sure it's a win-win for everybody let's make this community even more robust um so yeah i'm gonna read a couple real quick uh one by sign seeker says binge listening listen to one episode that a friend recommended now binge listening to this podcast find myself wanting to take notes especially love the unpaid endorsements thanks for sharing your experiences with such authenticity hey thanks sign seeker yeah i love it when people like that un- the people always like point out that they like the things that i think the least people would like which is cool <laughs> it makes me even more confused about what we should do more of um Cool. Well, thanks, Science Seeker. Uh, Rolio X says, I love this show. No BS, just real filmmakers talking about how they do what they do. I dig the hosts, the guests they bring on, and I learn so much, often listening to eps twice to take notes. This podcast and script notes are my two go-tos, one covering filmmaking, the other covering screenwriting. Thanks for an insightful and valuable resource. Hey, thanks, Rolio. And yeah, that's awesome, since yeah. you know, script notes was kind of our inspiration. Yeah, it's a pretty good show. It's also nice, I think, the idea of like recommending other shows that people who like ours would maybe like as well. Oh, you so, mean in the review? In the review, yeah. So if you have other shows that you listen to that are like 
on the same sort of tangent or maybe you can find inspiration from, um, you know, maybe tweet at us and I'll retweet a handful. For sure. Uh, last one. Uh, I'm going to go with Jarv Maestro or yeah. Harv Maestro. It's <laughs> with a J. I'm sorry, Harv, Jarv. Um, but here we go. Not only do they have great guests on, but the hosts themselves are very knowledgeable about the process of getting things from page to screen, which makes it for great interviews. It's one of my weekly listens. Hey, thanks. Yeah, that's awesome, guys. I think, uh, like you keep saying, it's a fun thing that we like to do, but it's uh, really special that you guys are listening. So, cool. Thanks for the reviews. And now let's learn how to get rich, Oren. By making commercials. Okay, well... I just made a list of arbitrary things I wanted to say about commercials. But I want to start with the understanding that I've come to about how a director gets a commercial, mm-hmm. like in the most traditional sense. So I'm going to say it out loud and you, Matt, interrupt me sure. when you agree or disagree with anything I say. Great. I can't wait. So this is how, this is how I understand the industry to work. There is a company like a Coca-Cola or a Nike or a McDonald's or an Uber. Mm-hmm. A brand. A right. brand, um, yeah, a big corporation that has a marketing department. Mm-hmm. The marketing department says, hey, we need more teen girls to drink our Coca-Cola, but we think yeah. that they, we've been doing all these focus groups and they don't really like the flavor as much. They think it's too sweet. So we're going to do a, make a less sweet type of Coca-Cola and we need to let these people know about it. The guys over in product development whipped up this baby. Unsweet Coca-Cola. <laughs> Perfect for teenage girls. Exactly. Nice voice. And so what they do is they come up with a marketing plan, which basically has all their research, all their idea, their goals. And then they work with an agency. Um, So a company like Coca-Cola probably has an internal agency and they probably work with a bunch of different agencies on different products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably uh, two things. One, we should mention Typically, uh, an account manager is the person in brand side who's been assigned, say, Coke, unsweet Coke, we'll say, for just for example. And so that person will be the point person for working with the agency. And they'll have a team, and they'll have been in a bunch of meetings with marketing and with R&D and all this stuff. But they're the person who's who's been, their baby is this product, basically. Right. Because and- typically, most brands will be representing a ton of different products with different initiatives and different demos and all of that stuff. Right. And the main people at Coca-Cola that would interact with this marketing are like the CEO, the head of the company, the CMO, the chief marketing officer, and then the VPs of marketing, which are one or multiple VPs that are, you know, work under the CMO. Yeah, it's confusing. VP, when you're younger, you just think, well, there's it's not one the president. Of them. It's not the president. So the person right underneath the president. Um, but their VP really, in my loose understanding, just kind of means that you make six figures, <laughs> that you are run, run a small team. But there yeah. are multiple VPs on every company. It's kind of what they call like a, an executive in Hollywood. Yeah. It's like a VP in, um, yeah. in corporate America. So, But sorry, so uh, internal agencies versus traditional agencies. Right. But it, in theory, they kind of work the same. So we'll just say the marketing department is going to interface with an agency. And so... There are some really giant agencies around the world, um, like BBDO, Shiat Day, Ogilvy, um, Wyden Kennedy, Wyden Kennedy, Leo Burnett. There's like these really big agencies, and those agencies have like the Lexus and the Toyota and the Coke and the Nikes and whatever. 
Then there's a lot of middle-sized agencies and boutique agencies and tech special like agencies that only do tech companies and that only do apps and that only do cars uh, or only do Spanish language or, stuff. Or lifestyle or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like there's yeah. like if you want to appeal to Spanish speakers in the United States, you would probably go to a different agency than if you want to appeal to, you know, a certain other type sure. of demo. So, um, However, some of those big agencies will even create their own internal boutique teams to kind of specialize in the same way that a, a external boutique agency would as well. Right. Yeah. Like in, if anyone watches Blackish, like Anthony Edwards' character is works at an agency, and he and the pilot is super excited because he's going to be promoted to be a VP uh, of marketing or like or a creative direct head creative director, and he gets he does get promoted, and he's going to be their head creative director of urban marketing, right? right. And so you know he's kind of disappointed. Cause, and they give it some flashy name or something, right? But. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that there even divisions within the agencies. So anyway, the agency gets this job, right? They're like, hey, we want to make, we want to sell unsweet Coca Cola to teen girls. So the agency comes up with a bunch of ideas of the type of marketing that they want to do for it. Um, but it's not just TV commercials; it's radio commercials, it's billboards, it's sure, social roll out media a whole stuff. Campaign. Yeah, yeah. So they design an entire campaign. And they go and they pitch it to the marketing people, right? The CMO it eventually makes it up to the CEO. The Coca-Cola will give them notes. They go back and forth for it like 20 times. They've really ironed out every single thing. They test different taglines. They test markets. They do focus groups. They spend a ton of money to figure out what this commercial should be. And and the, the major players in that sort of agency side are like your creative director, your copywriter... Right. So to me, kind of the, at least what, who I've interacted with on the agency side are, there's always an agency producer. They're in charge of getting the, the creative produced and they interface with the producer at the production company, which is who will hire the director. We'll get there soon enough. There's a creative director who is usually in charge of leading the team of creatives on the campaign. They're typically the artsiest one. Like, yeah. It, like Don it, Draper is the creative director at... Sure. He's also a partner. But. Is there a pop culture comparison, though? Because a creative director, agencies tend to be 50% kind of square and 50% real artsy-fartsy. So, like, the CDs that I know, they're either, like, big nerds and love to write jokes or, like, you know, we're new media majors at MIT's Media Lab and, like, have a knack for, and, and like, money, basically. So have a knack for you know, creative, but also can be commercially driven, right? So yeah. like, there's a lot, a lot of cool tattoos and haircuts and neat glasses. Oh, Those are kind sure. of all signifiers. It's like a, it's like, a, like an adult hipster job, basically. Yeah. But and they again, make, it's and like, they also make bank and are in high, high pressure situations. Right. And if they lose a giant client, they can lose, I'll like lose their job tomorrow. They come in like, oh, we lost Lexus half a year yeah, fired. Yeah, you're over. Um, yeah. Not just you lose your job all of your friends lose it. <laughs> yeah. They're very high stakes jobs. Um, also, there's this idea, like when you're pitching to Coca-Cola, the ad campaign you wanna, you're, you're suggesting, you might be pitching against two other agencies because Coca-Cola might say, you know what, we're going to listen to our agency but also be open to other agencies. Yeah. And all that work you're doing coming up with ad ideas is free. And there was this really good show about it on AMC called The Pitch, um, which was like, kind of a reality show they would follow two agencies pitching for the same campaign 
and then they would actually do the pitch on the show and then you'd find out who they chose which campaign they chose it was really good oh man but clearly i was the only one that watched it because they canceled (laughs) it anyway so uh, the other people at the agency are the art director and the art director is a little bit more visually Mm -hmm. inclined like what colors what brands how do we do we want this to be like super modern and popular do we want to be classic and Mm -hmm. and um, traditional like again very cool looking yeah and then there's the copywriters uh they are writing the words mm-hmm. whether it's the tagline the copy that's on screen the dialogue that the characters say the radio ad the copywriters are the people they come up mm-hmm. with where's the beef right 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 and again not to stereotype people but you know if we're talking about when you're when you're directing a commercial sometimes you don't get introduced to all these people and you kind of just have to suss it out so like you know, you're reading like how expensive their clothing is, how hip they look. There's a lot of cues on that. Copywriters tend to be funnier. And so they look like they're in line at UCB. Or they're like super, I mean, they can be super jockey too, you know, like sure. yeah, yeah. there's like, but they usually have a str- strong taste. Mm-hmm. Strong um, and taste. that's why they're usually kind of hip. But, and also though, they have less status than your art directors and your creative directors of the world. I guess I don't know how a copywriter versus an art director is, but um, I, I suspect it's different per agency, but maybe maybe they yeah, are I, Well, I think an art director tends to have a, a team underneath them as well. So it's not like an art director is doing all of the Photoshop themselves, though they could if they needed to. Right, right. I guess in terms of being on set, like I, I would, you know, I would usually talk to the team if we want to change some dialogue. Um, sure. I don't know who... that's in a a situation where I'd say like, who's the final word on this and just let me know. But uh, yeah. And then there's the producer. And I think that those are kind of the main players from the agency. Right. right. uh, At least that I interact with. So anyway, once uh, this agency, let's say, you know, Shiat Day decides there sells through this campaign to Coca-Cola and they decide, okay, we are going to spend a hundred million dollars on this campaign. And of that hundred million dollars, we're going to spend $50 million on TV commercials. So traditionally, and again, you, Correct me if I'm wrong or if you've heard something different. What I've heard is that if you're going to spend like $50 million on TV commercials, you will spend 5 to 10% of that $50 million right. on yeah. making the commercial, and you'll spend 90% of it on the media buy. media buy. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if those stats are shifting as inventory changes, right? So uh, when we talk about media buys, we mean the slots on TV and the internet and newspapers. Yeah, pre-rolls, and pre-rolls, YouTube, Facebook. All of those things, right? So all of the different places that you could see an ad. Uh, that's what the media buy represents. So they'll say, okay, well, we're rolling this out over Q1. So we're going to buy X number of spots across these territories in you know, this market. So national typically like, but specifically California, New York buys basically to roll these, these products out. And then, you know, they'll, it'll be all coordinated. So they'll have their billboards go out at the same time as the YouTube ads go out at the same time, blah, blah, blah. But so all of that stuff is changing, right? So the cost per thousand, the CPM of a TV spot is uh, much higher typically than the cost per thousand or CPM of a YouTube pre-roll, for instance. But uh, depending what your your demo, you can basically uh, buy that at inventory in a much more precise and selective way. So I think that the cost of a media buy, I would anticipate it's coming down, but also TV inventory is dwindling as well. So all of which is to say the business is changing and that that, that rubric maybe is shifting as a result. Yeah. And by the way, the business is changing in every single one of these things that we're saying. So none of these are hard and fast rules. Look, in two years, there might not be creative agencies anymore. They could all be internal. 
I mean, uh, Oren just healthily rolled his eyes at me, but like... <laughs> Well, I mean, look, maybe it, there it, won't they be... They certainly will change, I think. They'll change. But if you look at a Geico or a Little Caesars or a Jack in the Box or State Farm, there are these, like, the best, best, best commercials on TV. Like, those aren't made without an agency, a really strong agency. So, at least that that's my opinion. And that that's where I get really frustrated is when they hire some sketch writer to write a commercial and they try to cut out the agency and you're like, this isn't a commercial. Right. But they're saving... Yeah, they're saving like 50% of the budget Um, because Because the agency gets paid. Well, so anyway, so once they have come up with the ad and everything's approved, they need to find a production company and a director. And this means they'll probably have boards that are like pretty well worked out. They'll have the scripts all ironed out. They'll have a very clear idea of what they want, right? Yeah, I just got two boards one was a, a beer company, and they wrote what type of music. They sent, put samples of music that they think would go well. Like a link, like, you mean? <clears throat> like they wrote the names of two songs that they thought would go wow. well. They wrote what they thought the tone should do. They wrote what they thought the camera should look like. They wrote what they thought the casting should be like. Performance, tone, rhythm. They did everything. It's like, what am I going to say about yeah. um, Another one that had every character, and none of them had dialogue, like all the background characters this woman should be 25 to 35. She should be either Caucasian or Hispanic. She should wear denim, a denim shirt that like to the T and then like five pictures of what her mm-hmm. wardrobe should look like. I mean, it's crazy how much detail sometimes you sure. get as a director. I think creative directors are frustrated film directors in to a certain, I think that's a little bit of a trope and it's not wholly untrue. Yeah. Right? There's definitely a lot of creative directors that want to direct because and the same for the same reason a lot of writers want to direct because they feel like like other directors are ruining their creative material right. and they're very creative um but wanted a steady job basically yeah <laughs> which Fair advertising enough. is like also very scary at times yeah, yeah. in terms of stability but anyway so the agency now needs to find a production company and a director and it's those two things are like integrally connected so traditionally a production company uh, and some big ones are like anonymous content rsa the director's bureau tool tractor hungry man they will have a roster of directors if you go to their website if you go to anonymous content's website and you click on the commercial directors side you'll see 10 directors or 20 10 to 20 directors and you can click on a director and see commercials that they've directed before so they more i mean the the wording is wrong but they kind of belong to the production company sure yeah i think roster i mean it means they're exclusive with that company basically right and so traditionally and that used to be that oftentimes they would have a retainer it's like signing with a manager or an agent it's like this company is invested in your career growth and vice versa and if they'll maybe help you make a spec spot if you they feel like if you really want to do car commercials and you don't have any car work they'll help you get some car work even if it's not real to put on your reel anyway so uh it, the production company is also who writes the the bid for how much you know money they need to make this commercial so the agency usually this is the weird step that exists they will contact their like some reps And so reps are people, they're like agents for production companies. And they usually represent a region in the U.S. So there's Midwest reps, Southwest, North, East Coast, Northwest. And like Bill Mann, who we talked about, he works out of his, he works out of Ohio, but he does work in the Midwest, Chicago and uh, that region. He also works outside of there, but that's like where he specializes. 
but it, he's not a rep though. He's at a production company and he, like a lot of people are, are using kind of new ways to contact directors and stuff. Anyway, so the, so Coca-Cola's agency, right. let's say we said it's Shiat Day, sure. is now talking to their rep, to some reps they know. And these reps, sales each, reps, yeah, yeah. yeah, sales reps, each represent a few production companies. They say, Hey, this is our commercial. We want to do this this kind of fun musical thing but make it really rhythmic and really cool it's not a comedy but it's energetic uh, here's the Who script yeah. here's the boards send us some directors send us some reels and so the reps will talk will talk to their production companies and each production company will put up one director or sometimes multiple directors but ideally one director they say oh Matt Enloe at my company is perfect for this he does you know comedy dialogue but he's also done a musical sure. and he's also he's, done this and, and ideally literally i've done the spot already right in a perfect world you've done something very very similar to this so like i just pitched on a well i didn't pitch on it but i sent my reel for a commercial and it was like a guy talking to camera while walking around so i have three commercials that have people talking to camera and walking around so i sent those and they're funny and like they're high energy and they look fun and family friendly but also like a little poppy you know? Yeah. Well, ideally, they'll be exactly like the commercial. But if you don't have exactly like the commercial, you try to send like, well, this one is shot outside and it's on a bright, sunny day and everything's beautiful. But no one's talking to camera. This one's someone talking to camera. Right. So I'm trying to say that to prove that I can do a guy in a bright, sunny environment talking to camera and walking around by sending those two commercials. Anyway, so these production companies through the reps send the reels for their directors and the agency will now review like up to a hundred different reels. So there is one of the misconceptions I'm going to talk about is that the commercial world is like easy to get into because like nobody sure. wants to do commercials, but yeah, I yeah. hate to break it to you guys. <laughs> Sorry guys. Yeah. Everyone wants to do commercials because yeah. commercials are cool and you don't need to get people to watch them because as we said, there's sure. a media buy and people are literally being paid to watch commercials. And they're short term and they pay well. So, so the people at the agency review all the reels and they whittle it down from these hundred directors and production companies to three, three production companies and three different directors. So, and each production company just gets one direction director typically right? that they're having them pitch on. Yeah. Unless, and there's like some weird production companies like tractor doesn't actually give a director. They, they don't tell you who the director is until they get the job, but they show oh, you work that they've done. Yeah. There's a lot of different models, but uh, that's kind of how Sawhorse works too. They get the job and then they tell, like, give sure. you the options of directors. All right. So we whittled down to three. Again, this is all subject to change, but generally there's like a triple bidding process. So someone from the agency, the creative director, will get on a call with all three directors, one at a time, and the producer at the production company, and they will go over the commercial. They'll say, this is, you know, we're, we're trying to sell less sweet coke to teen girls we thought it would be really fun to do this like rhythmic musical thing we're gonna put it on tv like on the cw like you know before riverdale and we wanted to kind of have that same stylized look and then you as the director are like oh awesome and is this going to be like union or non-union actors like do you plan do you think you'll shoot in la or somewhere else or on location and this is the conversation with the production company the production company you you represent the production company you and the producer and, and you're talking to the agency. Right. But so you'll you'll already know, typically you'll have a call before you're talking to agency with the production company because they're, now they have the, you're a team basically. And right. They, they have incentive. They want you to win because if you win, then they get the job. Right. And by the so, way, if you don't win, if you say something really dumb that loses you the job, now let's say it's a 
$300,000 commercial. Now the production company just lost that on that $300,000. Right. right. So they are very invested in you being you cool doing, right. and confident. Cool and, and nailing it and giving you all of the information that you need. So you'll have a pre-interview where you'll already say, like, you'll, you'll, they'll have a sense of like where they want to shoot it and whether it's union or not and what the style and the vibe is. You'll have some information already basically going into it. So yeah. then when you have that agency call. Yeah, your main job is to ask good questions and to be cool and to like give off a vibe that you like, like the creative. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to remember that this creative has already gone back and forth between Coca-Cola and Shiat Day like 20 times. So if you're like, you know, what, wouldn't it be cooler if we did like a vampire thing since it's like on the CW? Like They'd be like, uh, no, we tested against vampires and like our demo doesn't like that. And what are you even asking that for? Yeah. Or like it was so hard to sell this through. You're suggesting something totally different. Yeah. Thank you, but no thank you. Yeah. That's a good way to knock at the job. Right. So it's, again, a lot of... The work that we do is trying to find the best version of the idea that somebody else has given us to work yeah, on. And, and to lean in and plus the idea that's already there. And typically, you know, there's a reason that the idea is the idea, right? Because they've tested it, because they're looking at things. And, you know, they're trying to k- take as much guesswork as they possibly can out of this because they're spending so much money and risking their brand. That That's more important to them than the money is like brand management, you have a positive association with Coca-Cola. If they have like a series of ads that are lame, then you think that Coke is lame. Right. I mean, remember that Kendall Jenner ad that was that Coca-Cola? That was Pepsi. Pepsi. Yeah. I mean, they got so slammed for that because they were being flippant about, you know, protesting and, and they were trying their hardest to be cool, which is like, you know, the word that's a tone deaf ad is, is the kiss of death really. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's weird, and it, it's never easy. Like, I, I'd say probably 95% of the time, the people on the other side will not be in total agreement on who the director mm-hmm. should be. Right. So there will always be one person on set with you that's like, sure. should I hire the other person? The other yeah, so... Um, Do you think it would be inappropriate on a call like that to ask the agency, so what are you guys looking for from a director? I think that there were ways to say, like, you know, I'm... I'm a really good collaborator and I'd love your input on how to fill in the blanks here or there. Like I had this thought and I think there's a cool opportunity to do something X, Y, and Z, but what were you thinking? You right. Know, as, as kind of the way I would say it, I wouldn't make it quite as plain as that, but that's code for what right. you guys want. But it's great to ask questions like, so this is a party scene, but the main character is kind of like you're painting her as not being like very popular. Like, do you imagine this is like a really big party and no one is talking to her mm-hmm. or she's like not popular so it's mm-hmm. like a really you know sparse party like right. that, but, that's a type of question where they see that you've like thought about it but right. want their want, input want on what they answer and then they say yeah you know it's kind of like a it's like a drama club party so it's not <laughs> it's a bunch of like kind of like you know awkward kids being the president of a drama club and then you say oh that's so perfect i was such a drama nerd and then you know maybe Definitely, you got to have the kid who's wearing, you know, the Hamilton hoodie that they got from New York that they're so proud of. Or you kind of plus it, basically. You right. you show you're excited and also that you have ideas that lean into the thing that they just said was a good idea. But you try not to be desperate and annoying, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. They can smell that a mile away. They can, they're, like I said, they're all very cool and ha- like high-status people. So it's like 
you're they're casting you as much as they are everything else because honestly there is there's a lot of stuff that's already done that they're not quite so worried about so they're if it's if it's a funny cool commercial they're trying to cast a, give the job to a funny cool director or if it's artsy or you know like there's a little bit of playing the part that they're looking for as well so you have this call and now you have you're done you talk to the producer where you say like oh it seemed like they really want to do this like big party scene and the producer will be like uh i heard them say that they want to do a little party scene you get into some fights with the, the sure. other people at the production company, but you suss them out, and then you go and you make a treatment, right? A director's treatment. So again, they've talked to all three of these directors, and each one of these directors is going to go make a treatment. And by the way, sometimes there's director teams. It can be two or three sure. people even as a team. Um, and so the treatment, and we've talked about this on the podcast so many times, um, but it's usually uh, some sort of PDF document mm-hmm. that has images, visuals, and writing that describe what you think the commercial should look like. We talk about performances. We talk about camera work. We talk about whatever we think is important uh, to connect with. And we really want the agency to see stuff we talked about on the call, like spelled out in this document so that they know that you're a collaborator and that you listen. That you listen and also that you get it and that you, you are giving them a document that does the best job of showing them that you understand what they are trying to make mm-hmm. in as ple- pleasing and as concise a, as a way as possible. Right. So uh, you make this treatment. So I've been working with this new company recently and that my treatment experience has been totally different with them. I've told yeah, you about it. It's so like jealous. amazing. This is kind of like my dream relationship with a production company because in the past, what I think both of us have done is we like I used to use InDesign. I'd make this really complicated treatment. It would take me a really long time. And you're photoshopping things because you find half of one image is great and half of another image is great. Exactly. And you add some smoke, and then you're on a tutorial on how to do a good <laughs> yeah. Photoshop job. And I'm like, why are all my fonts wrong all of a yeah. sudden? Yeah. Now with this new it's company, full time job. Basically. Yeah. With this new company, I write my treatment in Word, and I just write. You know, this is what I think about performances. This is the intro. This is the outro. I grab a bunch of images from the internet and I throw them into that Word document and then I send that document to the company and they format it, they do the layout, they add images, they Photoshop things, they spell check it, they give their own ideas on the treatment. It's like a real collaborative process to make the treatment and it goes back to what we said earlier which is they want the job just as bad if not more badly than you want the job. Yeah, you're paying for one person um, they're but keeping a company afloat. A company afloat, exactly. And they yeah. really care about the relationship with the agency and the reps, and ultimately the client. Yeah, they're looking for repeat business. So you make this treatment, you send it in, and then sometimes they'll choose a director off the treatment, but oftentimes they'll want to get back on the call with you, and they might even have the client, someone from the client, this VP of marketing person, on the call now, and you have to walk them page by page through your treatment and tell them what you're thinking and why. And they can ask follow-up questions, and then you can say, oh, that's such a smart thing. I was thinking this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. And by the way, if you have the option to have this call or not have this call, have I it. Take it. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times... Uh, like, I think my treatments are pretty clear and pretty decent usually, but, you know, you can never find the exact right image. So yeah. it's like a, cl- a close approximation, or you find two, you put two images that kind of average out to what you're saying. 
And it really takes being on the phone with someone to be like, oh yeah, no, no, I wasn't referencing the colors from this image. I really like the shape of this mm-hmm. podium. Right, right. Um, and so being on a call with them, especially if you have like a good personality, helps to sell you through. So then you, hopefully, you are one of the three people that gets the job. Oh, by the way, with your treatment, they also get the budget from the production company. Right. And so there could be a chance that they think you're the best director for the job, but this other director is also good enough and the production company is much better, you know, like a, the yeah, relationship with them is better. Or or depending on how tight the budget is, maybe they figure out a way to like deliver, you know, at a cheaper price point, you know. Yeah. I you, maybe you would know uh, underages, right, which is when a company comes in under budget oftentimes that can be the incentive for a producer to like save the money and you know that can be a bonus for them sometimes or um sometimes it can go i don't know what what, what's your experience with under just i think that's another thing that's all over the place i know sometimes you have to give the leftover money back to the agency right you have to show them line by line where the money was spent other times it's you know it's how the production company is making a little more money yeah I, i don't know you know, there's kind of this like Hollywood 101 thing when you move here where people tell you don't come in under budget or else they'll give you less money next time sure. to make the same thing. And I think that's true. But I know it's yeah. true. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I always just push for having the best equipment we can get that makes sense for what we need. Right. You know, I don't need a techno crane. Even if I could afford one, I won't I'd get one. And there's also this problem sometimes where you're spending more money because you have it mm-hmm. and then you're not using half the stuff you right. spent it on right but that that said you know we had bramley on the show last time and like the fact that she brings like 40 options for each person is so awesome and it could seem like a real waste of money but to me it's not no it's always always well spent yeah contingencies and like flexibility are the name of the game with those Right, especially with commercials because there's so many people, like we've already talked about, that will be on set on the day you're shooting that will have opinions. So so you get the job. You get the job. Now you start prepping, and you have to go through so many people, which is tricky. You're working with the producer at your production company. They're working with the agency producer. Right, and at that point, they'll kind of become your main point of contact. They'll be, they'll be siphoning notes from the agency and feedback and things like that that'll kind of all be coming from them basically right and you're trying to get the agency to approve as many things as they possibly can the locations the cast the wardrobe trying to show them as many things you can because you do not want to be on set and they say like what this you know this warehouse is wearing a suit Yeah. yeah This is going to be a really good spot that we're workshopping. Yeah, the sweet, less sweet cook yeah, for teen in, girls. In a warehouse wearing a suit. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Pantsuit. Yeah. <laughs> so you, yes, and so the day, usually a, f- a day or two before the shoot, you have a pre-production meeting. Sometimes it's in person. It, I love it when the, oh, it's, it's, when the agency yeah. comes for casting. Oftentimes, depends on the budget, they can't afford to go be there for casting. But you're getting through casting. Commercial casting is so crazy because, like, you know, both of our wives, you know, a lot of times they'll go out for an audition for a commercial that shoots, like, tomorrow or the next day. It's, like, it's not, like, traditional. That means that they didn't like the first batch. Right. Right. So just to walk through casting real quick, you'll have people come in, you know, they'll, like, take a sip and smile, right, and be like, mmm, sounds good. You'll get, you know, a ton of people coming in to do that for each different role. 
then you'll make your selects, send those along to people, um, and then agency will kind of like from there. They'll come to the callbacks. Yeah, yeah, and it, they'll kind of help select callbacks, and then they kind of really have the final say on who who they like. Right, and sometimes they'll say like, oh, we feel like we wanted to see quirkier people. Let's bring mm-hmm. in some new quirky people for the second audition right. for the callbacks. So, yeah, but you're there. You're at, The reason a lot of times the casting is so close to the shoot is because people from the agency have flown in right. for both of those things. From Chicago. Right, so we'll do the casting. We'll select the people usually at the end of the day. So commercial people, if you... When on an audition and you haven't heard back in three days, you probably did not get the job. Because a lot of times we'll narrow it down by the end of the day and we'll send it to the agency and even sometimes the client to give a final approval. As soon as they're approved, we book them, we get their sizes, we send their sizes to the costume people. They go shopping, get clothing, and then sometime between the casting and the shoot, we do a fitting where we go. We have hopefully the agency again is there seeing what our actors look like in the wardrobe and hopefully we have a lot of options. So yeah, that's the opportunity where there someone can be like, mm, I hate checkers. Exactly. And then Bramley is like, I've got stripes. And that happens every single time. Like they, it's very much you work through the wardrobe. It's almost never like, hey, here's an outfit. We're done. I've never ever had an opportunity where the first look was the one that was approved i almost feel like i have to show them at least three looks even if it's the first one that i like the best and they like the best just to know that we've explored it a little bit do you have any do you play any mind games with that stuff like do you lead with your strongest option or do you lead with like a middle one and then leave a little bit of room for improvement or do you well there's a few things i really like to do with the fitting if you're doing a fitting on the shoot day which is unfortunately kind of common in low budget, lower budget stuff. I love to see them on camera before we make the decision because it makes a giant difference. Yeah, I try not to all like pull anything that looks like is it going to moray or is going to be too bright for the room or I just kind of get that stuff and hide it as soon as I can. If yeah, most of the time you don't even end up with that as an option. But I also like to like take photos or have the costume designer take like photos of every outfit and go through like five or six just on their own and then bring them to the client and say look here's some looks i like i like this and this let's go look at some of these together i feel like i always have to tell actors to smile when we're taking their pictures because sometimes oh, yeah, they never people smile. Will, yeah they never smile because you know to be fair we've talked about this on the show that experience sucks it's just like you put on some clothes and then you stand there as like four jerks like look at you for a while and tilt their head back and forth and like talk about like mm, I don't know if I like these jeans like as though you're not even there it's really quite right and by the way they're not always jerks but yeah sure sure I mean jerks in the <laughs> right. the royal jerk um <laughs> so uh yeah yeah certainly but but there is a bit of dehumanization that kind of inherently happens even from the nicest people and like yeah. you do a good job of making sure that you you ask like oh do you like this how do you feel in this because i think that can kind of sell people on something or not or or it's good to know like oh if they don't like it then maybe they won't deliver right the way they could and the odd thing about commercials is you usually are working with non-famous actors and that people treat them like they're just like objects in the commercial yeah totally so it, it kind of sucks could suck for actors sometimes yes but so then you end up with you know photos of them in each outfit and they progressively look worse and like more messed up because they've had to take on put on 16 different shirts in between and so you know your very favorite look if they if it was towards the end of the day and they're kind of mussed up and maybe in a little cranky you know them frowning under like neon lights 
isn't the best way to sell that look through. Well, anyway, so that's the fitting. And then we have the shoot. And the shoot, we've talked about many shoots. I don't think we need to go into too much detail. But it does get crazy because sometimes the creative director will just tell your actor exactly how they should say a line. And that's fine. But it's good to prepare your actor for things like that. I have found typically that they'll still go through me first to talk to the actor. That's the ideal situation, but sometimes by the end of the day, yeah, yeah, they're just all, like, all say it this way is out. Say it funny, and you know that's really where you see the difference between yourself as a director and them, right? Like that's really where the kind of true colors are shown because they're very creative, smart people who haven't necessarily learned how to coax a performance out of an actor or how to treat them, you know, just in general. What I find is like it happens on commercials a lot is the agency expects a take to be perfect from beginning to end and i have to oftentimes walk them through the edit like we're actually only going to use the first part of this and mm-hmm. the, the last walk out of the room on this so right, right. i know you don't like what this looked like in the middle but we're not going to use it and that's where boards are really handy too because you can be like see this part and see that part right you know we'll be cutting to the kitten react and reacting during this line so don't worry about it quite so much right and as much um work up front that you can do to kind of clarify things like that is helpful. You know, agencies tend to have been around the block plenty of times. This isn't their first commercial almost always. So like, but you still have to do a decent amount of handholding. Yeah. And there are a couple of interesting things on commercial sets that are pretty typical is usually have a, a client video village and a director's video village. So you're kind of working with the DP and the script supervisor and the gaffer and the costume designer and the makeup person. You're all at one monitor and the client is at a separate monitor and the producer uh you know often like the production company's producer will be with you and the agency producer will be with the client and they'll be on a walkie-talkie giving notes to each other and there's this idea that the client can deliberate on notes amongst themselves come up with a unified note before it comes to you but a lot of times especially once i get to know the clients better uh, and the agency better I just like go back to their I, I, monitor I always jump into it yeah always because I want to hear it a lot of times there's some stuff is lost in translation between five mm-hmm. producers that are in between you yeah yeah so it's nice just to run over there and and figure it out but so you shoot the commercial and then you're done and everyone's excited right. and you go out to dinner yeah you go out to dinner well I was also going to say so I think you know people hear like the budgets for commercials and it's like well how the heck do you even spend all that money Right, but I think you've heard all of the work up front, right? And then you're flying, typically like five or six people out from right. They're all staying at nice hotels. They're staying at nice hotels, and then they are used to excellent catering, excellent catering, and accommodations. And the production company's prerogative is to make sure that those people are happy and comfortable. Yeah, they'll always do like a Starbucks run where no one on set gets Starbucks except for these clients and agents. And then you figure, okay, well, they, we have two separate video villages now. If you're running two cameras, that's two full-sized monitors and like a little tent and a bunch of chairs. So there's all those people that have to be able to keep an, tabs on that. And then you also have a PA that's PA assigned just to them, just to, to them to go get bring them in water and move trash cans yeah. around, and another camera assistant that's moving their monitors around. Right, and then VTR, which is like doing playback so that they can review takes if they want to second guess things or look at things a little bit more so that all adds up it's a lot of extra stuff to make sure that they're taken care of but that's that's where a lot of that money goes yeah and you gotta again rewind to when they spent like three months going back and forth 20 times with the client 
to get this perfect version of the line of dialogue and that's why they're not going to let you ruin that right in one second on right. set so right just by because you're like mm, it was good enough and so and that's also the reason why they're not as afraid of going into overtime you know like the the most overtime i think i've had is on um jobs like that typically well so you're done shooting you're done everyone's shooting. like they, oh great job we should hire you more often you take a selfie yeah, everybody like takes a right, picture with, with the actors with and the stuff. actors and shakes hands and uh, boy they had such a good job and then everybody goes to uh, goes to dinner right? right where they drink a lot of alcohol and go to like an expensive dinner usually yeah and you depend you go you have to go yeah um i i enjoy them usually yeah, but well, you have you know. to tell your wife why you're <laughs> not coming home. Yeah, uh, you know, I I've learned to like them more, and I think it kind of depends on the difference between um, how well you know them, basically how how closely you've collaborated with them, how well you get along with them. Um, but it's also a thing where it's their treat to you know, like they've this is kind of their wrap party at the end of a long campaign. They get to come out to L.A. or somewhere fancy and like you know they researched what the fun you know trendy restaurant is and they're going to go home and show their friends this selfie that they took with the marlboro man and you know talk about how great their steak was and that's kind of like the main perk beyond you know a, a good steady job for them right and they're excited to show the vp of marketing and the cmo and all these people sure what they've done and they're already talking about like oh we can actually make recut this to be perfect for twitter and do it like and it's important they need it's kind of like marketing assets for building buzz internally at the company of how well things went right you know so like taking those selfies like having fun with people on Instagram and stuff. That's part of their job in a way. Right. And by the way, understand. if you're crewing on one of these things, do not put photos from set on Instagram. Definitely not. Do not. And, I've had, and if you do, do not geotag it. And do not the hashtag best. the brand name. I mean, don't, that is, do, don't do it, but also yeah. like, don't get taught, caught doing it. We've definitely, I've definitely been at companies where like an extra or something, put a photo of something we did and they, everyone gets mad at everyone yeah, yeah um but yeah it's like I, the other thing i keep thinking about is what tony ascenda said which is like the happiest you ever are in a production is like when you're done shooting yeah that's your highest of highs and that's what it is in the commercial world too right yeah absolutely and it's funny i feel like i, I used to have a bad attitude about those dinners because like i just wanted to go home because like our friends are you know out somewhere or like we could go see a movie but like i said then like it's a special treat for them they're on the big work trip and so you kind of have to and yeah. they're fun cool people so it's nice to get to know those people you never know if you're going to be working with them again right. or not. i know? love those dinners because that's when you can like kind of let your hair down you know it went well there's none of this sure. nervousness or competitiveness or like trepidation about like whose creative choice is better and it's just like hey that was really great what's sure. next you know yeah yeah exactly um, but oh, so, yeah. yeah, the next part is to me the most shocking thing about commercials, which is very unique to commercials, more so than it, it's much less typical in branded content. And that is that in many traditional commercials, at this point, you've shot, you've had all this prep, you've shot your commercial, you've had the dinner, you are cut out of the process completely. Yeah. Maybe you'll get a first cut. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. But they do not care at all. <laughs> what you think after this and, and branded content is totally different and branded content it's like a lot more like scripted shorts or sketches or yeah. narrative and it's like they 
your part of your job is to shepherd it to through the post but in commercials it's it's just not um and it's it, it's fine. Like, you know, you try to, you're like, well, this is the color correction we really sure. thought. And this is, and you, yeah, you can so, make, a, you can ask your producer to talk to their producer and like beg them to do something because you think it'll be a better commercial, but. Or, or you just kind of like get on the phone with the, the producer and the editor beforehand and say like, Hey, this is what really worked well. And I think you'd really want to make sure you get this thing. And I love the, I shot it for these reasons in this way. Right. And then also I think you bake in, you, you, dial in a LUT on set with your DP that then you can hand off to your DIT and your anyone else who could. Right. And the LUT is like a set of instructions that describes the colors of what you want your image to look like. Yeah. So it gives them a good um, basis for what you were aiming for, for the colorist. And also it's nice because that means that they're seeing early cuts that have uh, a bit of that profile already dialed in. Yeah. So it's not like they're looking at flat or just generic footage because typically, you know, things are really stylized and you've shot it with a specific style in mind. So like give them, spell it out to them of this is what you were thinking, even though you have to hand the baton off. Right. And so what's important to me usually at this level is to buy my own hard drive and get a copy of all the footage from the DIT because there is a chance that you'll never be able to touch it again. And don't forget to get the sound. It's also <laughs> important. Um, and so, yeah. So when you do, when you are involved, it's great. Sometimes like they won't tell you when the commercial comes out. They don't tell the actors anything. Sometimes an actor will just receive a residual check because the commercial apparently is airing somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes the whole camp, the CMO is like, oh, you know what? Uh, we just did more studies and it turns out that this like less sweet Coke is making people really sick. So we're not sure. going to sell it anymore. Let's cancel the whole thing. We've only spent the $5 million on the commercials, but we haven't spent any of the $95 right. million on the media buy so yet. So it's cheaper to save it. Yeah. yeah. Let's cut our yeah. losses. So yeah. unfortunately, it's a very common thing. I mean, Steve Jobs famously would have like a bunch of commercials made for a product and he would just choose the one he likes to air. You know, what's funny is I feel like we talked about it offline that we... Um, the sort of situations where that happened and I realized you did a campaign for a cable company that then got canceled because it was too similar to a different campaign and then you were busy and weren't able to do the campaign so you tossed it over to me and I shot a new, a new campaign and then they shot that one mm -hmm. just to show exactly how much money people will burn through and how quickly things will but the crazy thing is I edited my spot and it's like the at the end, the end card is like Kara's voice. And I still like my reps send it out on my reel. Oh, sure. It's like yeah. feels like a commercial. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we have run very long, but I, so I'm just going to zip through this list of things I've learned about commercials. Sure. Hopefully I'm not repeating too many things. Uh, number one, commercial world is very competitive. It's not something that nobody wants to do. So stop thinking that it's so easy to get work. Yeah. Uh, I think we've made that clear. <laughs> yes. Number two, the commercial budget is usually 5 to 10% of the media spend. Talked about that. Number three, and this is a big pet peeve of mine, product placement is not a commercial. You know, I did uh, some commercials for a car company, and they don't talk about the car at all in the mm -hmm. commercial. It's right. just in the background, and it takes place. And to me, that is what why the car company ended up not really loving those commercials, because... Mm -hmm. It's just product placement. And a lot of people that come from traditional media or branded content 
think that product placement, like, oh, let's just have this mm -hmm. take place in a JCPenney, but we won't like say JCPenney's having a sale. Yeah. Ultimately, we'll get to the marketing department at JCPenney and they will say, how does this convince yeah, people to a, go? We've got a Labor Day to sale. To our sale, yeah. So when people tell you that and they do it to me almost every single day, they're like, oh, we really want to push the product branding to the to the background and it'll just take place, you know, in the store or they'll just be eating these sandwiches and it's not really important that we talk about them. First of all, I guarantee you that after you shoot it, they'll be like, oh, there isn't enough sandwich in this. We need to add more sandwich and then they'll ruin your edit. And two, that when you try to get other commercial jobs, it won't feel like a commercial. Next Branded content cred doesn't go very far in the commercial world. Yeah. It's, if you've done a Verizon Go 90 series or AT&T or did a whole web series for Hilton, like uh, if it's not a 30 second commercial, it's worthless. Yeah. It doesn't really get count. a broadcast TV commercial. Next 30 seconds is always the best length for a commercial, no matter what. <laughs> you, I like a good 60 or a 45 every once in a while. Sure. 30 is the best. 30, yeah, I guess. I, I think. I think um, I think you're probably right. And I think really It goes back to saying, the watching 100 reels right. from directors. And, oh, you mean in terms of submitting things? In terms yeah, yeah, of getting yeah. other work. Yeah, yeah not totally. creatively. Sure, creatively, any length. You know, Blade Runner was great at two hours and 43 minutes. But when you're trying to get work through your commercials, because I'll look at my like two minute things. I'll be like, this is so good. There's nothing I can cut out. I love it. And then yeah. I look at a 30 second version of it and I'm like, there's i don't miss anything Plenty. i get the idea yeah. i could see how someone would make it through the end it's always unfortunately the slicker and more polished it is and the more excellent the sound mix is that makes a difference like uh, the idea obviously goes a long way but like a crappy looking great idea will well, you won't get the won't job fly. yeah next spec work when you shoot a commercial on spec it, the people that watch it should not know it was a spec commercial. It should be for a real yeah. product, a real brand. It should show that you understand the voice of that brand. It should show that you're pushing the envelope as far as you can without like crossing the line. It, show, it should show that you have some cool... There's something about the way you make commercials that really resonates with people and works. And you don't need to tell them this is a Nike commercial that never aired. There's actually... There was an Adidas commercial someone put up like a few months ago that got went viral and supposedly Adidas had rejected it as a pitch. Yeah. Um, but nobody knew whether it was real or not. So spec commercials should feel, should you you should be able to convince someone that they're a real commercial. And on that front, actually, guys, uh, if you are thinking about specking a commercial, I think that's where your tongles and your mofilms of the world really come into ha come in handy because they are actively posting briefs so you're learning to write and pitch on a brief and also uh they provide all of the branding imagery that you need so say even say you know like an end card an like end, how doritos card. does the great end card yeah you have a great use. end card you have all of the graphics all of that stuff um and uh, sometimes even like post copy so like even if you don't actually win the bid on one of those contests you can still use the that media to make it look as real as possible yeah, and don't forget to put the like little small print, like the legal print at the bottom of a commercial at the end. That like makes something makes real. feel yeah. real because why the hell else would you put the legal print on a commercial? <laughs> um, it, so what I'm going to say next is going to go a little bit against what you just said, but I, I still I, I think you'll understand why. I think there might be a misconception with really new directors that they are in some way related to writing or pitching the commercial. Yeah, that's they never yeah. are. 
the commercial idea, the storyboards, the script all comes from the agency. Sometimes they'll look for a director. They can also write or punch things up or do other things, but that's the exception to the rule. Yeah. And I think it's like a specialty thing. It's like a novelty thing for them. I, sometimes I've, I've been approached recently to kind of be that that person a little bit like for a 30 second commercial for yeah a campaign so like i'm pitching ideas with the agency on that oh stuff. right so the agency um, is looking to you as a mm-hmm. creative, as a creative yeah. not as necessarily as a yeah. director but maybe also no as a director and also a creative okay like director first but then like oh we really want you know it's them trying to be next gen and like looking to this new generation of creators blah 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 right um which is cool but there's a part of me also that's just like, send me boards, guys. You know, I'm writing my own stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it's totally cool. And it, but I, I remember when I, before I worked in the film industry, I like had ideas for commercials and I was like trying to find the people to tell them to because I wanted to make them. And it's like, there is, that's not, that yeah. just doesn't happen. I mean, I guess, uh, unless it's like Tongle, you know? Yes, exactly. And that's why I said <laughs> it's an, ex- the Tongle is yeah. an exception and, and your story is an exception. And, yeah, like the Quiznos stuff I did, I pitched all that stuff, but it was because I was working for the agency. Right. And I actually didn't even, I mean, I ended up directing almost all of it, but there were a few things I pitched that I, somebody else directed. So, you know, it's two separate jobs that happen to be done by the same person. But directors don't pitch commercial ideas. Right. And next, I wrote storyboards you get from the agency. Uh, so your work is to get really specific about those storyboards. Like, I think the camera should move like this. I think this wouldn't it be funny if this woman in the background was like on the cell phone, you know, while she's right. uh, taking a shower, whatever it is. Right. So it's like your job is to get specific about the creative that they gave you. Next day rates. Most directors mm-hmm. in traditional commercials have a day rate. The day rate only applies to the shoot day. So sometimes you can get, days for travel and prep right you can do like a half rate day or per diem yeah, yeah. Or, but generally let's say your day rate is ten thousand dollars a day and you're shooting for two days you'll make twenty thousand dollars on that commercial whether you'd spent one day prepping it or two months final draft versus word i talked about that already sure. you will almost never get a final draft scripted commercial for a 30 second commercial it's almost always will be a word document or pdf of some sort next most production companies traditionally sign a director exclusively to put them that director on their roster and usually that contract will be for two years is the traditional amount of time next by the time you get the creative it's already gone through many rounds of notes don't try to change it too much uh we talked about that my next one is commercials have genres i think mm-hmm. most of our listeners would know this but yeah, some but people it's worth don't realize. Yeah, the, the how specific the genre can be because it's not just like f- comedy versus lifestyle. There's tabletop, right? There's food. There's cars. There's sports cars versus family cars versus midsize kids' toys versus family animals. There's so many things. I almost after kid in college, I was like, oh my god, am I going to become an animal animal director? Like I right. got put up for a dog food commercial, and I was like. Oh no. And yeah, I didn't get funny. it, but like, but then I would have had a killer animal reel and I like, I work with sloths just recently. Oh yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, it's fun. It's like a little stressful, but yeah. And again, like as Abby, previous guest, Abby Fuller said, if you try to be good at all genres of commercials, you probably will never get a job. Yeah. They want to hire the car person for the car commercial. Yeah. I can't remember who gave, this advice but like honestly 
if you're looking to spec a com- spec commercials, you should just shoot effectively the same spot three times. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. to be specific, like, oh, a sports car over and over. Like, the joke can be different or the premise can be different, but, like, right. three well, so car commercials like are a- more valuable than a car commercial, a serial commercial, and a slinky commercial. Right, and, like, fashion, lifestyle, doc, and comedy are, like, cannot be more far away from each yeah. other. Um, but, yeah, you're, like, a comedy dialogue guy. I also am usually, like, comedy dialogue, but maybe with a little more... The effects, the effects leaning action yeah uh yeah and a lot of times there'll be hybrids a yeah. car commercial with comedy that's the comedy element is more important than seeing the car driving right. the joke is comedy the thing yeah director yeah like literally the last commercial campaign i did mostly the characters sat and made jokes like 90 percent of the campaign was that and it was a car thing no just two guys oh, oh the, right right yeah yeah, and there's also like a celebrity aspect. Like for some reason, it helps if you're going to work with a celebrity. It helps to show that you've worked with a celebrity before, even though in reality it doesn't really matter. I, you know, I think that there is. You just need to know that you can keep your cool. So next, you will same thing. You will almost never get a job for a genre that you've never done before, unless it overlaps heavily with a genre you have done before. Two more things. So next, sag and residuals have a giant effect on the budget. A huge, uh, huge effect. And it goes beyond even the agency to all the way back to the client. Um, if you have three people speaking versus two people speaking, it's way more expensive. If you have five extras, even if you can't see their face necessarily, you might have to pay them every single time this commercial airs and negotiate with them uh, over and over to keep airing the commercial. So Yeah, typically a buyout will last for about six months and then they'll have to re-up it. And then after a couple times, they'll have to renegotiate. Right. So um, when you're doing a SAG commercial and they're saying you can have five extras and you say, well, I want 20 extras, that is, it's not just paying 15 more people for that day. It's paying 15 more people like for two months. to yeah. $20,000 each. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty significant. I did um, this commercial with the, the audition when I was telling you about earlier and we had our production manager hand an iPad to one of the actors in the commercial and all you see is their one hand and they are not sag and it was a sag commercial and sag flagged it and they had to taft hartley this guy and pay him like a few thousand dollars whoa yeah insane that's crazy and it wasn't even i don't think it was even a broadcast commercial it was just internet wow so finally and i think this is a big one for our uh listeners viral videos are not commercials if you got 20 million views on a video it's not as good as if you have like a one super slick spot that's been seen five times. Yeah. Um, yes, that is part of the evolution of advertising is view counts and tweets and all that stuff. But for traditional 30-second broadcast TV commercials or even like 30-second YouTube pre-roll commercials, like commercials that we think of, like Geico and right. Little Caesars commercials, your viral, viral videos count for nothing. Yeah. The, well, but a viral commercial, a commercial that people are watching for free that's extra special yeah but it, uh, just to play devil's advocate here don't you think most agencies people that work at agencies would think that those are going viral because of the creative and not because of the director sure yeah yeah but i think that um being a part of a organically successful campaign that is a halo effect for everybody i would say yeah i yeah. met with this com- production company years ago uh, and they had represented the director that did this Dove campaign where 
they hired a police artist mm, to sure. draw. Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah, that super one. viral, super viral. Yeah, uh, it was a really, really awesome commercial. They they took a police sketch artist. They had women describe themselves to the sketch artist, and he would draw a sketch of them. Then they would have random strangers that had just met these women describe what they look like to the sketch artist. And then they looked at the sketches side by side, and all these women had described themselves really negatively, like as yeah. kind of ugly. And these other people described them as kind of beautiful, right? And I, I mean, I don't know that it was relevant that they were women. I think it's just like a thing, but sure, Dove sure. was but marketing. It, it's to, about self-image. and Yeah. You know, it was a pretty moving spot, actually. It was yeah. Quite good. Just thinking about it makes yeah. me kind of like emotional about like how much better people are than they think they are. And so the production company represented her and they're like, yeah, she did this commercial. And no one, she's not getting any work because it's not a 30 second TV commercial. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. So that's not the rule. And I'm sure she's doing fine because that commercial is so good. And, yeah, and she well, has I'm such sure a good sentiment. Awards and stuff too. But it's just don't, there's nothing easy in this world. Yeah. But I love it. And I think it's really fascinating and fun. So, yeah. That's all I got on commercials. <laughs> and I would say, you know, um, I think commercials get a bum rap for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think that they, we talk about it all the time. Having a short turnaround, being able to like stretch your legs, do some great work, collaborating with that many people and being in that competitive of an environment. Those are all really important skills to have when you're making features you know, when you're doing series, it's all it's all the same sort of muscles and it seems like maybe it's different and the world and the, the players are different. So like knowing who to say hello to and who to shake hands with and rub elbows with, all of that stuff is different. But the fundamentals of knowing how to pitch and execute and collaborate are important and valuable. So I think it's it there's no it's not a coincidence that basically all of our favorite directors do moonlight and do commercials as well. Like it's a smart thing to do whether you need money or not. Right. And I'll say one last thing for me personally is I think there's filmmakers that want to be auteurs. They want to write and direct and realize their vision or their approach. And that gives them a certain amount of excitement when it's received well. And there are other types of filmmakers, the ones that I relate, I connect with more, which are just really satisfied when they are working with passionate people that really care about what they're making regardless of whether they agree with them or not and to me the commercial world is the the best version not the best version but a really poignant version of so many opinions and so many people sure. really caring and really being passionate and to get to be a part of that is exciting for me even if i oftentimes disagree <laughs> with what people are passionate about sure so sure. much better than me being the sole person that's calling all the shots and then not right. even really knowing if what i made is good or not well, and I would argue that most of our favorite auteurs are doing commercials as well. Yeah. P.T. Anderson maybe isn't, but everybody else but is. the Cohn brothers, they don't do commercials. Yeah, they do. They? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, Wes Anderson does Wes, commercials, Wes but Anderson, they're very much his. Wes Anderson, Spike Jones, David Fincher. Yeah, Errol Morris. Errol, Errol Morris. That's the perfect example. Yeah, but even Mike like Mills. Uh, Ang Lee. Sure. Yeah, he like, does commercials. Well, we've been talking a very long time about commercials. Do you want to give a real quick unpaid endorsement? Unpaid endorsements. Yeah, so my unpaid endorsement for today is uh, I just got the um, those cup clips that you clip to a C-stand. I think they're made for oh, like, yeah. fishing. I got one called RoboCup. 
I've seen them on set plenty of times before, you know, a DP will bring one along or a script supervisor. But um, I find that I am always at a monitor and I don't sit down and I always have a cup of coffee and my phone and I, and I want to have my binder with me and I never have a place to set my coffee down. I always feel like a stupid jerk. So I got this cup clip and uh, I'm going to get it in the field soon, the day after tomorrow. So I will let you know, I will report back. But my endorsement right now is, as of this time, is the RoboCup. That's my endorsement. I'll check that out. Have you ever used one of those? I've used like a cup holder on a dolly. Oh, yes. You know? There you go. Same thing. I love coffee. I also love coffee. So my endorsement is another dumb one. So I have TSA PreCheck. Basically, it's 50 bucks or how much does it cost? It's 50 bucks. Uh, yeah, 50 bucks. And you, uh, right, they do a background check on you and then you can go through the fast lines at the airport. And obviously, the more we travel for work, the nicer it is to not have to take your shoes off, not have to take your laptop out, just get through security super fast. And the, lo- the line is much shorter. My mistake is I should have done global entry, I which know. I think is yeah. $85. Yeah. That gives you TSA pre-check everywhere in the world, not just the US. It's totally worth it. Literally, if you just fly twice a year, I think it's worth it. You can bring your whole, like when Kara doesn't have pre-check, but when we go together, we can go through the pre-check line. Oh, is that true? Yeah. I mean, they've never stopped her. We're always just hand our boarding cards oh. or passes together. It's called TSA PreCheck. Most people I'm sure know about it, but uh, I love it. It's, yeah. it's worth it. Yeah. 50 so. bucks to keep your shoes on. And it also, it lasts for like five years, I want to say. Oh, it doesn't? Yeah. It's not, you don't have to pay that every year? I don't think it's every year. I'm pretty sure it's five years. I just got it. So I'm okay. pretty sure it's five years. Well, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. If you have any questions or opinions, if you want to know more about commercials or less about commercials please send us an email at justshootitpod at gmail.com or drop us a line on twitter we're at justshootitpod or on instagram we're also at justshootitpod uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 2626shoot1 operators are standing by we'll answer your question on the air and as always we'd love reviews on itunes ratings and actually most importantly if you can do both of these things it would be great one tell other people <laughs> about our podcast sure trade i mean people you think would be interested in it obviously and two maybe send us an email with your thoughts on how we can connect with more people maybe there's a list serve at your university or something we're really we feel like we're getting really amazing feedback about the podcast we're trying to figure out what the best way is to connect to more people like you that seem to be enjoying it so uh, drop us a line. We'll yeah. appreciate it. Well, the Reddit board is slowly growing. I'm getting some comments and oh, some cool. upvotes. I'm the only one who's posted so <laughs> far, guys. So I'm calling everybody out. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Just Shoot a Pod, Twitter at Just Shoot a Pod, me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. Music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. We will catch you next time. See you later.